Many have wondered, especially in times of tumult and chaos and confusion, such as the time we're living in now, as many are bearing burdens of stress and worry, what does the future hold? In every age, people have asked similar questions and sought answers in various ways. As in past ages, there are those who have claimed to know the future, predicting things to come in specific ways or at a specific time. Over the years, people have predicted within a certain time frame things like a stock market crash or catastrophic climate change or the return of Jesus Christ on a certain date or within a certain time frame, such as five years or ten years. Very often, however, these predictions have failed to prove accurate. However, it is possible for you to know the future. How can you know the future is the subject, or I should say how you can know the future, is the subject of today's sermon. How you can know the future. First, let's examine some of the failed predictions from various sources from both recent and ancient times and analyze the way not to approach knowing the future. In the 1960s, Paul Ehrlich, a biologist at Stanford University, was predicting worldwide famine within a few years. In 1967, he was quoted in the Salt Lake Tribune as predicting the, quote, time of famines, end quote, is upon us and will be at its worst and most disastrous by 1975. This is one of many similar predictions that Paul Ehrlich made over a period of years, none of which came to pass. Among his predictions was that America would be subject to water rationing by 1974 and food rationing by 1980. In 1969, he was quoted in the New York Times as saying, quote, we must realize that unless we are extremely lucky, everybody will disappear in a cloud of blue steam in 20 years. This was in 1969. An article in the Boston Globe in 1970 quoted James P. Lodge, Jr., a scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, to the effect that air pollution may obliterate the sun and cause a new ice age in the first third of the next century, which is our century now. He also predicted that the demands for cooling water due to increased electrical power generation might, quote, boil dry the entire flow of the rivers and streams of continental United States. These scientists are among many elitists who have called for draconian measures to reduce the standard of living of prosperous nations, stem uh, population growth, and even reduce the Earth's population to forestall the catastrophes that they have erroneously predicted. Another scientist, Dr. S.I. Rasul, of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in Columbia University, predicted in 1971 that an ice age could occur within 50 or 60 years due to dust particles in the atmosphere, and he called for the burning of fossil fuels, including coal, oil, natural gas, and gasoline to be stopped. His was only one of many predictions in the 1970s of global disaster due to a new ice age. As we saw earlier, burning fossil fuels had been predicted to be the cause of a future ice age. Beginning in the 1980s, the climate alarmists had changed to predicting calamities due to global warming but their com computer models predicting significant changes in global temperatures due to the burning of fossil fuels have been way off the mark. There has been perhaps some slight warming since the 1970s when it was said that the mean global temperature had dropped by 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit since the 1940s. Now I want to repeat that. In the 1970s it was believed that global temperature had dropped by 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit since the 40s. 
NASA data indicates that the temperature of the global lower atmosphere had warmed by 0.38 of a degree centigrade or 0.21 degree Fahrenheit from 1979 to July 2019. Now this is such a tiny variance in temperature that it's open to question where, whether, it, uh, whether it's uh, even accurate, but the slight warming over a period of 40 years is hardly a cause for alarm and certainly does not justify the hysteria generated by climate alarmists and the media. Many scientists believe that the burning of fossil fuels has no significant effect whatsoever on global temperatures. For centuries, many have predicted the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Notable among them was a preacher named Harold Camping, recently deceased, who is noted for having predicted the second coming of Christ on various specific dates, all of which proved to be erroneous. The Bible warns repeatedly about believing false prophets so we need to be very careful about believing just anybody who comes claiming to know the future, even if he frequently quotes the Bible. Make sure that what a person is telling you about the Bible is accurate and that he is not adding his own speculation to what the Scripture actually says or twisting Scripture to his own ends. And this happens frequently. False prophets in the nation of Judah at the time of Jeremiah in the 7th century before Christ prophesied of peace when because of their sins and rebellion God had decreed punishment upon the nation. We read in Jeremiah 14 beginning verse 13 Jeremiah 14 verse 13 Then I said, Ah Lord God behold the prophets say to them you shall not see the sword nor shall you have famine but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine these prophets shall be consumed. Ezekiel had been taken into captivity by the Chaldeans as had been prophesied by Jeremiah and other prophets that God had sent to warn the nation of Judah. Ezekiel prophesied of future events affecting the people of Israel as he himself was captive among the Chaldeans. We read in Ezekiel 13, beginning in verse 1, Ezekiel 13, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Notice what they were saying. They were saying, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? Have you not spoken false divination? You say the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, Therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God, because indeed because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace when there is no peace, and one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar.
The Kyle and Delich commentary states on these verses as follows, quote, they are not even to come into the land of Israel. In other words, they are not merely to remain in exile, but to lose all share in the privileges and blessings of the kingdom of God. Judgment will come upon them because they lead astray the people of God by proclaiming peace where there is no peace. In other words, by raising and cherishing false hopes of prosperity and peace by which they encourage the people in their sinful lives and lead them to imagine that all is well and there is no judgment to be feared, end quote. God also warns against false prophetesses, female, feminine, In Ezekiel 13, verse 17, he said, Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart. Prophesy against them. Verse 19, he went on to say, Will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? And then going on in verse 21, verse 21 of Ezekiel 13, I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be as prey in your hand. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, because with lies you have made the heart of the the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked, so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Therefore you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination for I will deliver my people out of your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. God takes very seriously the deceptions of false prophets of those who claim to speak in his name but teach lies. In Deuteronomy 18 and verse 20 Deuteronomy 18 and verse 20 we read but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Peter the apostle wrote of false prophets, who could also be prophetesses, depending on the circumstances, and he said of them in Second Peter chapter two, Second Peter two, beginning with verse fourteen, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. God warned his church about false teachers who would seek to seduce God's people in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Revelation 2 and verse 20. He said, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds." I will kill her children with death and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. I will give to each one of you according to your works. The ultimate fate of a nation or of individuals lies in the works they do. Some have sought to predict the future by astrology, by consulting fortune tellers, so-called, or psychics, or necromancers. We read in Isaiah 8 that necromancers are those who claim to communicate with the dead, by the way. In Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 19, we read this, When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. 
Notice he said when they say, seek mediums, wizards, who whisper and mutter, seek the dead on behalf of the living. God says to the law and to the testimony, that's what we're to look to. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. That's from the King James Version. And the treasury of scriptural knowledge comments on this passage as follows quote he that uses divination and they are referring to the uh, translation of the Hebrew words here for these uh, I won't read the Hebrew words in quoting this but they're uh, referring to the English translations of the Hebrew he that uses divination they say, seems a general term for the various species after specified. And then they go on to say, observer of times, one who pretends to foretell by the clouds, planets, and so forth, as would be astrology included in that. Enchanter, a diviner, either by means of serpents or inspecting the entrails of beasts, the flight of birds, and so forth. And there are many ways that people claim to divine the future by various means. A witch, one who uses magical fumigations, and so forth. A charmer, one who uses spells or a particular conjunction of words or tying knots, and so forth. A consulter with familiar spirits, a pythoness, a wizard, a cunning man, a necromancer, one who seeks inquiries of the dead. Those same verses, Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11, are translated as follows in the New King James Bible. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices, practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Burning a child in sacrifice to an idol was a way of seeking favor or a particular outcome from a false god. And this has been practiced in many nations, and it became a common practice among the Israelites and Jews at times in their history of course, contrary to what God had instructed them. Saul, who had been appointed king of Israel, became over time estranged from God and in dis disobedience to God's command, Saul consulted a familiar spirit or a medium. Familiar spirit as it's translated in the King James Version and medium in the New King James Version. Either way, it's one who consorts with demons. The Kyle and Dalich comment on 1 Samuel 28, which we will read in a minute. 1 Samuel 20, beginning with verses 7 through 14, they comment as follows, quote, Saul attempted to obtain a revelation of the future in ungodly ways. He commanded his servants to seek for a woman that had a, fam a familiar spirit the mistress or possessor of a conjuring spirit, in other words, of the spirit with which the dead were conjured up or the for the purpose of making inquiry concerning the future. We read in 1 Samuel 28, beginning in verse 3, 1 Samuel 28, verse 3, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. 
When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, for, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Now notice that Saul is asking the woman what she saw. He did not see anything. He was relying on her to tell him what she saw. But he could see nothing. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. In other words, he reached the, the he made the assumption that, that this was Samuel since he had asked for her to bring up Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, and what this is telling us is that Saul heard a voice that he assumed to be Samuel's voice. And by the way, typically these mediums, when these spirits appear, they mutter a very in a very low and almost unintelligible voice. But uh, Samuel, as Saul believed, mistakenly, said to him, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? By the way, Notice that the spirit ascended out of the earth, supposedly as though Samuel was being resurrected. Samuel said, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Therefore the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Now, again, notice the woman pretended to see Samuel ascending out of the earth as though he was being resurrected. The Hebrew, for what the woman said she saw, is Elohim, which means in English, gods. And sometimes these could be applied to spirit beings. Sometimes they could be applied to human beings, even in certain cases. But in this case, it was a spirit or spirits. And she also added in telling Saul that this apparition was in appearance as an old man covered with a mantle. 
And Saul was deceived into believing that it was Samuel speaking to him through this woman when in fact it was a spirit or perhaps more than one spirit, a demonic spirit or spirit speaking through her. We read in 1 Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 13, 1 Chronicles 10 beginning in verse 13, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So God executed punishment, the punishment of death on Saul as a penalty in part for this sin of consulting this medium, this familiar spirit. And notice that it was the medium that Saul sought guidance from. Doesn't, doesn't say he, he was killed because he sought guidance from Samuel. It says he consulted a medium for guidance. A medium is one who communicates with familiar spirits or demons. And in this case, a necromancer who pretends to communicate with the dead. In the King James Version, 1 Chronicles 10 and verse 14 reads in part, that Saul died, quote, for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, end quote. So it was a familiar spirit or a demon that Saul sought counsel from. The Bible in basic English version renders the verse, quote, because he went for directions to one who had an evil spirit, end quote. Now this demon no doubt knew that Saul had been rejected by God and was to be replaced by David. He knew that the Philistine army was poised to do battle and it was very likely to be victorious. He knew, he knew God had warned, as in Leviticus 20 and verse 6, remember Satan can quote scripture, he knew that God had warned the people of Israel, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. So the demon knew that it was likely that Saul and his sons would be killed in the battle because it was an overwhelming force that the Philistines assembled at that time. It turned out in this case that the demon told Saul the truth about what would happen to him, which did happen the next day. And Israel was soundly defeated in that battle. By this time, Saul's fate, as far as this age is concerned, was sealed. And there would have been no point in trying to deceive him. And sometimes demons do tell the truth. And often they lie. Sometimes they do both. But uh, at heart, they're liars. Kyle and Delich go on to comment that quote, Saul did indeed inquire of Yahweh but received no answer because Yahweh had departed from him. But instead of seeking with all earnestness for the grace of Yahweh that he might receive an answer, Saul turned to the sorceress of Endor. End quote. Now it was not Samuel who was dead who spoke to Saul. And we know this from not only from the context of what we read, but a, a number of other scriptures. For example, in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, it says the dead know nothing. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, it says there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. So, seeking advice from a dead person is completely futile because the dead are dead and they know nothing. Speaking of death, we find in Job 14 and verse 12, Job 14 and verse 12, so man lies down and does not rise. He's speaking of death here. Man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. And the context makes it plain that the dead remain dead 
until God himself calls them up from the grave. Now there are a few instances of people who were resurrected through the power of God from the dead, but those are very few individuals. And it was not in the context of seeking counsel from the dead. We read in John 5 verse 28, however, John 5 verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment. So God not only has the power to raise the dead, He promises to raise the dead. Everyone who has lived and died will be resurrected at some point. As we just read here, both the good and the evil will be resurrected whenever God determines it's time for Him to do that. Which is also acknowledged in the context of the scripture we read in Job. But spiritists and mediums and necromancers do not have the power to resurrect or communicate with the dead. And their pretenses are mere illusion and lies. We live in an age of particular anxiety where many see the world coming to pieces where good is called evil and evil good where black is white and white is black up is down and down is up so how can we know the future is it possible to know the future looking for answers to the future among astrologers necromancers ouija boards studying the entrails of slain animals and other methods that rely on demon influences is not wise and will not produce positive results. Lying on, relying on uh, false teachers or false prophets who lie for their own gain is not profitable. Relying on the guesswork or speculation of a person even who might otherwise be well informed can also lead you into false expectations. We hear all the time so-called experts predicting this, that, or something else, and as often as not, probably a lot more often than as not, their predictions turn out to be false. Even though they may be well informed about certain things. God does not want us to seek to know the future from those who consort with demons or who are deceived, or who seek to deceive others. God wants us to look to Him, and to Him alone for answers to our questions about the future. We read in Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, Zephaniah 1 and verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. All the false prophets, the prognosticators are one day going to be a thing of the past and will be eradicated from the land. God's word is the only reliable source of knowledge about the future because only God can reliably predict the future. God can tell the future in certain respects and He has given us a general outline and specific information about the future in His word, the Bible. Scripture has shown what is coming and has proven to be correct in specific ways. God challenges the false gods and the false religions to tell us what will happen in the future. In Isaiah 41, beginning verse 21, Isaiah 41 and verse 21, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. 
or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods, yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. We read in Isaiah 42, beginning with verse 8. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. In the Hebrew it would be Yahweh. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. I will tell you of them. Among all religious texts, the Bible is unique in its prophecies and in their accuracy. Many prophecies of the Bible have come to pass years, centuries, even millennia after the prophecies were written or spoken and recorded. Specific detailed prophecies about the Messiah, His mission and death were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Numerous prophecies pertaining to the peoples of Israelite descent have come to pass in both ancient times and in the modern age. The promised blessings of the Israelite peoples in the latter days has been fulfilled. And these are just a few of a long list of Bible prophecies that have been or are being fulfilled. Jesus, before His crucifixion, prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem which came to pass in 70 A.D. We read in Luke 19, beginning in verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41 As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, he was speaking of Jerusalem, if you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Matthew Henry in his commentary comments on this scripture, quote, the Romans besieged the city, cast a trench about it, compassed it about and kept their inhabitants in on every side. Josephus relates that Titus ran up a wall in a very short time which surrounded the city and cut off all hopes of escaping. They laid it even with the ground. Titus commanded his soldiers to dig up the city and the whole compass of it was leveled except three towers. See Josephus' history of the wars of the Jews. Not only the city, but the citizens were laid even with the ground. Thy children within thee, by the cruel slaughters that were made of them, and there was scarcely one stone left upon another. End quote. In a later war, called the Bar Kokhba Revolt, the Jews were defeated again by the Romans, and in 135 A.D. the Romans plowed Jerusalem with a yoke of oxen to overturn every stone that no buildings from the time of Christ were left standing, not even one stone upon another. The restoration of the Jewish state in the latter days is also a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Nehemiah, who became a leader in restoring the Jewish state after the Babylonian captivity, prayed thus in Nehemiah chapter 1 beginning with verse 8, Nehemiah 1 and verse 8, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. God had scattered the Israelites at the time that Nehemiah made this prayer, God had scattered the Israelites from both the nations of Israel and Judah among the nations. 
And after a time, as the Bible had prophesied, the Jewish state was restored in Palestine. But Jerusalem was destroyed again. As we just read earlier at the time of the Romans. And the Jewish people remained scattered, have remained scattered for nearly two millennia. The fact that there still is a Jewish people of itself, you might say, is miraculous given their relatively small numbers and how they've been persecuted and hunted down through the ages. But they have been scattered, but they have not been they have not perished utterly from the earth. And a Jewish homeland was restored in Palestine with the declaration of statehood in nineteen forty eight. The Bible prophesies a yet future captivity of Judah and Jerusalem and a yet future restoration. In Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Zechariah 14 and verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. goes on to tell us that Jesus Christ will return to destroy His enemies and save the earth from utter destruction. And we read in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15, Matthew 24, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of this of the world until this time no nor ever shall be and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened they will be shortened by Christ's intervention following Christ's intervention and his return as he also spoke about in that same context the remnant captives of the nations of Israelite descent, the people of Israel and Judah, will be repatriated to Jerusalem and the land of Israel in the Near East. We read further in Zechariah 14 and verse 11. Zechariah 14 and verse 11. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. I said earlier that the ultimate fate of a nation or of individuals lies in the works that they do. We saw earlier that Nehemiah remarked that the Jewish people were deprived of their homeland because they were unfaithful to God. But God promised that if they repented, they would be restored. If they would repent and begin obeying His commandments. The same promises remain in effect today. God promised Abraham that his descendants through Isaac and Jacob would be blessed abundantly in the latter days. But the Israelites were also warned in Leviticus 26 and verse 14. Leviticus 26 and verse 14. If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, God went on to tell them that he would withdraw his blessings and in their place would be curses. He said among other curses, in Leviticus 26 and verse 17, Leviticus 26 and verse 17, I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And so we already have people who hate us ruling over us, and we're going to have even worse people than them in terms of the hatred they have for us, reeling over us before it's over with. 
going on, it says in Leviticus 26 and verse 33, Leviticus 26 and verse 33, God said that if the people refused to repent, He promised, quote, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. God goes on to tell us in Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 40, Leviticus 26 and verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they have also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and if they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham I will remember. It goes on to say, beginning in verse 44, verse 44 of Leviticus 26, Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. After punishing the people to bring them to their senses and to repentance, God will deliver them out of captivity. We read in Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 21. Ezekiel 37 and verse 21, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them. They shall no longer be two nations nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols nor with their detestable things nor with any of their transgressions but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. This is one of many other prophecies about the future deliverance of Israel. The other nations too will suffer punishment and then be received of God upon their repentance. We read in in. Isaiah chapter 2 beginning with verse 2. Isaiah 2 and verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain here is symbolic of a nation or kingdom, the mountain or kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And then in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 16, Zechariah 14 and verse 16, we read, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. One's individual future, that is his ultimate future, God tells us a lot about the future of nations and kingdoms in the Bible, but he also tells us about the future of individuals. It tells us about their ultimate future and how it can be predicted based on a person's conduct, his works, his behavior. Now, we're speaking here of ultimate future in the interim. There may be trials, tribulations, even martyrdom in some cases. But the final outcome is clear. And, and it's made abundantly clear in many scriptures. 
Among them is Psalm 37. Psalm 37, beginning with verse 1. Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And then it goes on. We could read the whole chapter, but we'll skip down now to verse 27 where it says, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Now notice there are times when the wicked are allowed to prosper, but in the final analysis, they will be cut off. And then that's when we will see the final outcome of the lives, the fortune, if you want to put it in those terms, the future of everyone concerned. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him.